I am excited now uh, to gather around the word. Uh, last week, uh, we kicked off this new uh, collection of talks uh, called uh, In This House. And the idea of In This House was really us taking the opportunity uh, to discuss exactly what does it mean uh, to belong to this house that is to become in church. You know, like when you grow up, you may have heard things like, hey, in this house, this is how we speak to each other. Or in this house, this is how we treat one another. Or if you say that one more time, in this house, you're going to have to find another. Y'all didn't hear that. <laughs> but it was the idea of saying, hey, so what does it mean uh, to belong to the uh, becoming church or to connect uh, with the becoming church? And so last week, uh, we opened the conversation with this. We believe in the church. And I know we are a church, and so that might have been like, well, yeah, but we just wanted to make it clear, like, hey, we believe in the church. Uh, Matthew 16, 18 lets us know, uh, Jesus says that I am building, I will build my church. And so this is what he's building. He's building his church, the capital C church. And understand this, uh, we don't go to church, but we gather as the church. So this morning, this is the church gathering. And then when we leave here uh, this morning, uh, this is going to go back uh, to being a cafetorium. But when we're in here on Sunday, this is the church gathering as the church. And so if you didn't get a chance to connect with that message, I'm going to invite you to go back to YouTube. It's there. And uh, connect with that as we continue to build on each conversation. So today uh, we're going to be coming from Romans uh, chapter 12. And so if you have a copy of the Bible, you can flip with me there or scroll with me there on the new app. Because the Bible's there. <laughs> and, uh, or you can view along here with me on the screens. But it's Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Today, family, we're going to have a conversation around this idea, we believe in worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. God, thank you for the moments that we share together. God, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to gather around your word. And Father, for these next few moments, God, I pray, God, that you incline our ears. God, help us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. God, open our eyes. Help us to see what it is that you're showing us. And Lord, we say this, speak because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Family, <clears throat> I have full permission to share this story. And I know you're like, oh, my gosh, when you say that, what kind of story are you sharing? But it's not that bad. I'm just letting you know that I have full permission to share the story. For as long as I can remember now, but especially at this point of this story, my father has always purchased jewelry for my mother around any occasion. 
So if it was her birthday, it was jewelry. If it was Christmas, it was jewelry. If it was anniversary, it was jewelry. If it was Valentine's Day, it was jewelry. If it was Wednesday, it was jewelry. But I remember one particular year, my mother was like, you know, Ham, that's what they call my dad, last name Hamilton. He was in the Army, you know, this is a thing they do. And uh, she says, you know, I don't want jewelry this year. I want you to surprise me. Get me something different. And so my dad, being the loving husband that he is, a husband that pays attention and listens to his wife, he decided to do exactly what she said, what she asked for. And he did not get her any jewelry for her birthday. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. So now we're out to celebrate her birthday. We're at dinner, and we're finished up eating, and it's, you know, it's time to present her with the gift. And so my dad pulls the bag around, and it goes, here you go, babe, happy birthday. And she's all excited, and she's tearing out, you know, the tissue in there. And and I don't remember what was in there. I I knew it wasn't jewelry. Uh, And, you know, she's like, oh, Thank you so much. This is so awesome. Thank you. And I'm like, who are you? You don't even speak like that. You know, I was like, it just didn't seem authentic. Well, she kind of had that look on her face, you know, and like, so where's, where's my gift? And so she's like digging into the bag. I'm like, look, this is not bottomless fries. Like there's a, the bag has a bottom on it. I think that's it. And she's like, uh. So, Han, where's my gift? And they're going to see this, by the way. Which, by the way, uh, happy anniversary. They're not here and point to the camera. Happy anniversary. Today's their 40th wedding anniversary. So, Mom, Dad, happy anniversary. Thank you so much for the example that you guys are to us in any way. I'll tell you later today. But um, she's like, Ham, where's me? Quit playing. Where's my gift? We got to get out of here. We've been here long. They're going to call it and start cleaning this table. Where's, where's my gift? He's like, Frida, that, that's your gift. <laughs> How many of you guys know that just was not <laughs> the response he was expecting? That wasn't the response that he was looking forward. I mean, look, and so I learned right there. When she says, don't get me this for my birthday, that means get me this for my birthday and something else. <laughs> yep. But that was not the response he was anticipating. That was not what he was expecting. But listen, I wonder if that is a picture of how it looks when it comes to us and God. You're like, what are you talking about? Is that the look on God's face when it comes to our response to him? Like, have you ever wondered and asked yourself, like, just kind of pause, what is my response to the goodness of God? What is my response to the mercy of God? What is my response to the grace of God, to the love of God? What is my response to the protection of God? And maybe you're like, listen, you're talking all of that, but I don't really like where I am today, so I don't even know what my response would be. Well, let me tell all of us in here, hey, It may be bad, but listen, it's not as bad as it could be 
because you have been covered, you have been protected, you have been taken care of. And so I know you may not be where you want to be, but you can thank God that you're not where you should be. That's why we thank him for his mercy. Oftentimes we shout out his grace, but we forget his mercy. His grace is when he gives us what we don't deserve, but his mercy is when he withholds what we do deserve. So we thank God for his mercy. So considering all of this, what is our response? And that's the question, family, that we're asking and we're going to answer today. And here's a little spoiler for you. The answer is this. Our response is worship. Our response to the goodness of God, to the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. So thank God for his kindness. Our response to that is worship. So let me ask us this. What comes to mind when you hear worship? Is worship a set list? Is it your Apple Music playlist or your Spotify playlist? Is worship the songs that we come in here on a Sunday morning and sing? Is worship to some of us, is it simply just Christian karaoke? (laughs) Have you you ever said this yourself or maybe you've heard someone express this Worship was good today. Maybe on your way out on a Sunday morning, like, yo, worship was, was good today. Mike and the team, how they did that? Like, worship was good. Or maybe on the ride home, like, worship was good today. And oftentimes what happens when we say something like that, we're implying that worship has a beginning and an ending. Because the statement is saying, okay, so here's where worship begins, but then worship also has an ending point. It also implies that worship has more to do with the songs we sing and less to do with the life that we live. It implies this as well, that we have defined for ourselves what is true and acceptable worship. Meaning, if the note was not hit just right, if the drums did not come in where they were supposed to hit, then was worship good today? Right? Family, listen. We can't reduce worship down to just songs. Like, yes, it's a part of that, but it's much more than that. Worship is more than just a song. Listen, worship is a lifestyle. That's why worship does not have a beginning nor does it have an ending because it's a lifestyle. Worship is revealed in how you treat your spouse. Worship is revealed in how you love your neighbor. Worship is revealed in how you approach your job, your attitude towards your job. Like, listen, remember, tomorrow, that is an expression of worship, your approach to your job. Worship is even your approach to everyday tasks around the house. You never knew when you were cleaning that toilet that it was worship. But it is. Worship extends far beyond the song. And so since we're asking this question, well, what is worship? Let's define it. So in the New Testament, the most common word used for worship is the Greek word proskenal. And it means kneeling or to to pay homage, to make obeisance, whether uh, in order to express respect or to make supplication, to make requests. So in other words, it's this act of, of kneeling 
towards something, to pay homage towards something. And the word for worship in Hebrew in the Old Testament is shakah. And it means to bow down. It means to prostrate oneself uh, before a monarch or su- superior in, or to pay homage as well. And so what we see is at the core of both of these definitions is the idea of submission and surrender. Right? You bow to a king. You give way to a king. And I love how worship leader Andrea Okus describes worship when she says this. She says, worship is an expression of true devotion and a wholehearted surrender given in purity and love. So many worship is it's a true expression. That's why I love, you know, David is known in the Bible, King David is known as this, this worship leader. You go in a lot of the songs that we sing come from Psalms. And a lot of it is true emotion, things that he was feeling at the same time from all the different stories and moments of his life. So worship is an expression of true devotion, meaning where you're giving your attention to a wholehearted surrender. So not some, but completely, and it's given in purity. So there's no motives. There's nothing that we're looking back and also in love. So worship has nothing to do. This is what this tells us, that worship has nothing to do with how we feel. So many of this idea of like, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like worshiping today. Listen, worship doesn't have anything to do with how you feel because worship has everything to do with who God is. Worship is not based on a feeling. Worship is not based on a moment, but worship is based on who God is. That's the difference between praise and worship. So when, when you praise that is this, this excitement, this thanking for what God has done. But when you worship, it is this expression of love and gratitude towards God simply because of who he is. Did anything happen? No, I'm just worshiping him because of who he is, because he's holy, because he's righteous, because he's sovereign, because there's no one like him, because he's one of one, because he stands all by himself, because he is good, because he is worthy. In fact, that is what worship is. Worship is worth-ship. He is worthy of my praise. He is worthy of my adoration. He is worthy of my time. He is worthy of the sacrifice it is to give up whatever I feel in the moment and worship him because he is worthy. Maybe that's a question we've got to ask ourselves. Is God worthy in our lives? What kind of value do we attach to him? Is Jesus worthy of our worship? Because understand this, family, your worship has value. That's why everything, come on, and everyone wants it. Everything is vying for your attention and your affection. And everything that is fighting for it is not bad. Your spouse wants it. Your kids wants it. Your job, like all these different places, they want your attention and your affection because your worship has value. And so if we're asking the question, well, then what is, what is our response to the goodness of God? Hold on to that. That's what we're asking. What is our response to the goodness of God? And we just said a few moments ago that it's worship. Then the follow-up question may be, well, 
how exactly do I worship? And that's where Paul in his writing to Christians living uh, in Rome is going to help guide us. But before I get there, you know, even talking about how do I worship? Like worship is not this thing where you, you can't like gauge it in terms of like, okay, well, this person, person is a good worshiper and this person isn't. Because worship is, it is an expression of the heart. It's an inward work that is happening, that's taking place. Now, what you often see is an outward, outward expression of what is happening inwardly. So maybe if you're in this space and maybe some of the things that you saw this morning was like a head scratcher for you, like why were some people jumping up and down? I don't know if they were. I was looking up. I don't know. It could have happened. Sometimes I do. I didn't today. Um, well, how come people were raising their hands? It's not that all of that is like me. Oh, yeah, that person is really worshiping. But what it, is, what it is or what I pray that it is, it's an outward expression of what's happening inwardly. That inwardly, I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm living from a posture of surrender. It's like a little kid. When they place their hands up, like Zoe, our daughter, does it all the time. She's like, well, she says, hold you. Because normally to us, we're like, you want me to hold you? So she's like, hold you. I'm like, you mean me. <laughs> but she does this because she's like, yo, I'm at the end of it. Isaiah and Titus, they're getting on my nerves. I do not like this episode of Peppa Pig. I need you to pick me up. And so when you see someone with their hands raised, it's not like, oh, they're just like, we got to look at you. Like, no, they it's from, this is from love, okay? But they're not thinking about you. <laughs> but no, it's an outward expression of like, Lord, all week I've been trying to do this myself. And I'm sorry. And so here I am at this point. I'm, I'm worshiping. I'm surrendering. I've been trying to raise kids in my own power. Lord, we've been trying to work this, this marriage in my, our own power. We've been trying to run this, this business here. I'm, I surrender. And so it's an outward expression of what is happening inwardly. And so oftentimes you may hear a worship leader say, hey, come on and lift your hands. They're not just trying to make the moment look better, but they're trying to help facilitate and lead you to that moment of surrender. Because that is what worship is. It is surrendering your preference. It's surrendering your feelings. It's surrendering all those things. It's saying, Lord, like, just here I am. And so we're talking about how to worship. So to give some context to the text, the writer of Romans, which is Paul, he wrote, uh, to Christians living in Rome. And in this particular section of his letter that we're reading in, Romans 12, uh, Paul is focusing on the application of Christian living, right? How, how do you guys as Christians in this pagan culture, like how do you apply Christian living? So this is what he's writing towards. Um, because understand this, the truth of the matter is followers of Jesus, know this, for all, if, if you follow Jesus, 
uh, in this space today. I know some of us were at different points of our spiritual journey. And if you're in here, that's okay. I'm not trying to force you to a way because I can't do that anyway. And I'm glad and excited that you are here. And this is a place that you can belong and a place that you can connect to. But for those of us who have said yes to Jesus as being Lord and Savior of our lives and we follow the way of Jesus, know this, we are different from, but we're not better than. Are you hearing me? We're, we're different from, but we're not better than. Sometimes we have forgotten that part. We're not better than. But what makes me different from you, or excuse me, you say this, it's, it's saying, I live different from you, but I'm not better than you. And part of what makes me different from you is where I give my attention to, or in other words, what I worship. So going back to Romans 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So this leads us to our first observation that we're going to make this morning in terms of how to worship, and it's this, live as a sacrifice. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down, live as a sacrifice. So Paul says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, but do you ever read something and kind of stop, pause, and say, okay, that sounds good, but what does that exactly mean? How do you offer your body as a living sacrifice? Well, let's go to Scripture. There are two living sacrifices that we see in Scripture. The first one is this, is Jesus himself. He was a living sacrifice. And you may say, well, wasn't he crucified? Yes. But we know he got up out of that grave. That's why we're here today, because if he didn't get out of the grave, we wouldn't be here, right? But he got out of that grave, and he's alive. He's living. Come on. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a has-been God, but we serve a living God. So when you speak to him, you talk to him, understand he is alive and well. So Jesus was a living, he is a living sacrifice because what? He laid down his life for you and I, but yet he lives today. Are you tracking with me? So the second living sacrifice we see is when Abraham presented Isaac as a sacrifice. So some of you may know the story, uh, but in Genesis 12, I believe, um, God has made this promise to Abraham and he's blessed and fathered me nations, all this stuff. And Abram's like, hey, that, that all sounds good, but who am I going to leave it to? Like all, all we have is, you know, our, our servant. So I guess, I mean, I don't, we don't have kids. So God makes this promise to him and, and I'm skipping through the story and speeding it up. And, and Abram and his wife, they're like, yo, we're old. This is crazy. It's not going to happen. And many years pass before the moment that finally they give birth to Isaac. So this is their promised child, like the like promised. And many, and some of you in here may um, have been praying for a son or daughter, may have experienced this, and, and maybe it happened either uh, through uh, natural uh, birthing or through adoption that God fulfilled that promise. But you know what it's like to be like, yo, this, this is a promise. This is a dream. This is a prayer. But then God's like, hey, I want you to offer him, present him as an offering. 
So remember, all those prayers and all that weeping, and you're like, wait, what? You want me to do what? But in obedience, he responds to God, and he says, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to present Isaac as an offering, as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so he brings a couple servants with him, and he, got, he grabs some wood as well. And I always wonder about Isaac in this moment, like, you know, like, where the sacrifice at? So you talk about Abraham's faith, but Isaac's faith too. <laughs> and so they get to the point where the Lord is like, hey, you know, this is where it's going to happen. And Abraham tells uh, the others, like, yo, you can stay back in Genesis 22.5. And he says, the boy and I, we're going to go worship. And right in that moment, he's prepared the altar. He's got the wood. He's got Isaac up on the altar. He's bound to the altar. He's ready to slay the boy. And the angel of the Lord appears and says, hey, don't touch him. And then, he out, uh, and then actually lets him know that there's a ram that is provided in the bush. Not the message, but I'll pause right there. There's obedience first, and then there's provision. Oftentimes, God calls us to something, and we base, on, we base our um, willingness to respond to the call based on what provision we can see there. And God's like, yo, that's not how it works. It's obedience first, provision later. So we'll save that for another time, but just a little nugget for us to chew on today. And so in that moment, Isaac was presented as a sacrifice, but because of how the Lord stepped in, the angel of the Lord stepped in, he lived. So that's an example as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means this family to live as a living sacrifice means to be willing to lay down and place down anything that the Lord asks you to. So what am I saying? Are you willing to surrender the dream? Are you willing to surrender the status? Are you willing to surrender the promise? Like that is what worship is. That is what we're called to live. Live as a living sacrifice, recognizing that my life is not my own. And if the Lord calls me to something, I am willing to respond in obedience, absent of seeing the provision, but trusting God's plan, God's will, and his way. And we get to live sacrificially. We get to live in that way in every aspect of life. Every aspect of life. With our family, with our careers. If you're, uh, with, with your kids, with your spouse, with your dreams, with your goals, be willing to lay everything down at the call of God. The moment he asks for, be willing to lay it down. Because here's the thing, if you can't, then it, it shows us this, then God doesn't have all of us. Then we haven't really surrendered ourselves to him. And he doesn't want some of us, but he wants all of us. Because here's the truth, only total surrender can be called true worship. If it's not, it's like kids, you don't want some of the truth, you want all the truth. In the same way, God is not asking for some of us. He wants all of us. Only total surrender can be called true worship. So learning how to worship begins with the decision to live as a sacrifice, but it doesn't end their family. This leads us to our next observation. And you can write this down. Don't conform, transform. Don't conform, transform. So Paul, he goes on to say, 
Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, meaning do not attempt to make your life resemble the life and the pattern of the world. Remember, we said earlier that you are different from the world, but you're not better than the world. And so for those of us who follow the way of Jesus, that means this. There should be a marked difference between the life we lead and the life of those who don't follow Jesus. Now, when I say that, people say, oh, here we go. They always talk in relationship, relationship, but here's where that little religion starts to work its way into that. No, I'm not saying that at all, family. I'm just saying people have to know who you have put your faith in. And if we're living in a way that people don't know that, then we've got to check ourselves because maybe, just maybe, we have conformed to the patterns of the world. And maybe you're a person that has never fit in and you're doing all the things to fit in and God is like, you're not supposed to fit. You're different. And so you keep praying away and you keep trying to understand how come I'm not getting in that crowd in this circle in that group. God is saying because you don't fit. And so... You're praying this way, and I'm doing one thing, but then you're working against what I'm doing because you're not supposed to fit in. But we got to embrace that. We have to be okay with that. It doesn't make us better than. It just makes us different from, but we can't conform to the patterns of this world. The difference is going to show in what we give our attention to because know this, what you behold you will become. What you give your attention to is what you will become. If culture has your attention, then culture is what you're going to become. If fear has your attention, then fear is what you're going to become. If doubt has your attention, then doubt is what you're going to become. But listen, if Jesus has your attention, then you can go from hopeless to hopeful. You can go from faithless to faithful. You can go from broken to healed. Family, what you behold, you will become. Why? Because you have decided to give your focus to the one who not only gave you life, but to the one who wants to transform your life. And I know the pull and the lure and the draw of culture is very enticing. But it's like we're always faith, faced with. We have a decision point. We reach a point where we have to make a decision because at some point we're going to have to compromise what we believe. And I'm not saying you got to like, let me put a something on me says, hey, I'm a Christian. Don't like, or, or I got to act weird or, or, you know, some kind of conversation pops up and you got to start oh, in the name of Jesus. Like, no. <laughs> okay. Don't say, don't act like that's what I'm saying. But I'm just saying, and it's okay if you're not there yet. That's why this idea of becoming is a real one. And we didn't make it up. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a, a good work in you will bring it to completion to, at the day of Christ Jesus. So we're all somewhere on a spiritual journey. But here's the reality. Year 10's got to look different than year 5. Year 15's got to look different than year 10. 
Otherwise, we, we've just been hanging out, parking at the same spot because the Lord is calling us to progression. The Lord is calling us, calling us to sanctification, which is what? The process of becoming holy. A process doesn't just stay still, right? Yeah, processes can take long, but a process is still moving. Things are still happening. Things are still turning. And so we've got to be willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to, to go on this spiritual journey, and I'm okay with what that means. I'm okay if there are some people that I can't connect to anymore or connect with on a certain level because I'm not trying to conform to the patterns of the world because I'm trying to pay attention to what has my attention. And I believe the reason why some of us kind of pause ourselves in a certain spot in our spiritual journey and spiritual formation is because we are afraid of what people think. We are afraid of what family will say. We are afraid of what friends will say. We are just afraid of, I don't know, co-workers. Maybe they knew, like you in college, and they already knew, like, you know, Red Cups didn't play. Like, you, you were ready to go. But that's not who you are anymore. That there is a work in your life. There is a transformation in your life. So what can happen is sometimes we become afraid of transformation. Because this truth, people are quick to embrace the old you, but quick to dismiss the new you. What do you think you're doing? They're like, what do you think you're doing going to church on Sunday? What do you think you're doing talking like that? What do you think you're doing behaving this way and acting that way and this, that, and the other? You so-and-so from uh, 35, 55, April, whatever, you know. You so-and-so's boy, like. You know, they try to place you in a box. They try to dismiss who you're coming. But listen, family, oftentimes, let me, let me say this. The moment you start living the life God has called you to live, they want to put you back into the box of who you used to be because they can't deal with who you are becoming. And, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's this. Like, they like you in the box because they are comfortable with you in the box. But the moment you step out of the box, you are reminding them of what they didn't do, of how they didn't respond. And so they're like, yo, Michael, you have to get back in the box because I don't like the Michael that's outside the box. Because the Michael that's outside the box is reminding me of how I didn't trust God or how I didn't have faith for it, how I didn't believe for it, how I didn't pursue it. And so what happened, they will, people will discourage you and they'll try to holy it all up and they'll try to, you know, put some words on it and some these and thous and try to make it seem like it's the Lord. And they'll try to put you back inside the box. But family, you can't live life inside the box. If the Lord is calling you out towards something, if there's a way that he is moving you into this, a, a type of transformation, a way of trusting him, it is your responsibility to respond with a yes to what he is calling you to. Because listen, whoever it is, they're not going to be asked the question of what did you do with what I gave you. But... I will. So it's my responsibility. So you can't allow the fear of man, the fear of what people will say because they don't like you outside the box. Get outside the box. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, I'm stepping out the box. 
Oh, come on, say it like you believe it. Say, I'm stepping out the box. Listen, family, step outside that box. Live outside the box because your transformation isn't just for you, but it's for the people around you. What God calls you to is bigger than you. It's for the people around you. So you can't stay inside the box. And so as I close this morning, the question is how to worship. And the answers are to live sacrificially, to choose to transform and not conform. But, you know, we often say it's one thing to know what to do, but then it's another thing to do it. In doing it, it's often based on the position of your mind. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. And so ultimately, the way you think can either propel you or it can limit you, meaning your thought life can push you into your destiny or it can cause you to run from it. And we see it in Numbers 13 where Moses is leading the Israelites towards the promised land. And they're right at the edge when he sends out 12 spies to go basically survey the land, bring back a report just to know, hey, is it inhabitable? How are the people there? How are the cities? How are the town? All these things that he wants on this report. Ten of the spies, they go out and they come back and they're like, yo, Moses, the land is great, it's fertile, the fruit is amazing, but the only problem is... We can't stay there. Why? There are giants in that land. And not only are there giants in that land, but we look like grasshoppers to them. So that was the report of 10 of the spies. The other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, they were ready to take the land. But because of the fear of the 10, the people did not move forward in possessing the promise. So here's a couple things to note. Again, when you read, ask questions. How did the spies know that they looked like grasshoppers to the giants? Because if they were so afraid, surely, uh, Mr. Giant, what, what, what do we look like to you? They didn't do that. They were afraid. So that meant that they made an assumption on behalf of the giants of how they looked to the giants. Maybe because they saw themselves that way, that they projected that onto the giants. The second thing to note is this. Not only important is it important in terms of how you see God, but it's also important to how you see you. How do you see you? How do you see the value you have? How do you see who God has called you to be? How do you see who God has created you to be, what he's created you to do. Because here's the thing about God. He will allow you to make the decision on the level of life that you want to live on. You say, what are you talking about? There are levels. Somebody say there's levels to this. Level one is God's perfect will for your life. It's like Abraham, like, yo, I don't know where this leads to. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to respond in obedience. Level one is saying, I'm going to live in obedience. I'm going to say yes to you. And that allows us to live in God's perfect will for our lives. Level two is God's permissible will, where he is saying, hey, that's cool that you want to do that. 
I'll permit it. I will allow it. But I've got so much more for you than that. If you want to do that, cool. Settle there and you'll thrive and it's good. You're going to go to heaven and all that good stuff. But I've got more. But it's permissible. He permits it. He allows it. But then there's level three, family. It's living outside the will of God for your life. And oftentimes we decide, we choose those levels based on how we see ourselves. And some of us, we don't see ourselves because of how we think about ourselves, which means this family. We need to do like Paul says. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So could it be that the thing that is holding you back from expressing, expressing true and acceptable worship to the Lord is your mind? Could the thing that be holding you back from living the life that God has called you to live be your mind? The reason why you haven't been able to fully surrender because of your mind. So what does this mean? You know, when you renovate a house, there's first demolition. Why? Because the old has to be removed. It has to get out. You've got to tear it down. It has to be destroyed. It has to be brought down. Kind of reminds me of 2 Corinthians 10.5 that says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does this mean, family? We need a renovation of the mind. That there are some thoughts, some ways that we've been taught that now just become a second way of nature for us to think. So how do you do that? Like I read that scripture before, but how do you do that? Family, it's just a process. Like yeah, the Lord may boom, do something, but it's a process. And it looks like this, replace thoughts that don't look like God with thoughts that look like God. Meaning, you can think on those things that are holy, that are worthy, that are noble, that are just, that are pure. So when the enemy is telling you, you're not going to make it, you replace that thought with, I will make it, not because of who I am, but because of the God I serve. That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When he says that you're not enough, you say, no, I am more than enough. In fact, I'm more than a conqueror. Right? You replace those thoughts and you continually do this practice, family. And it's a journey. It's a process. But every I've made a decision that the enemy will not have my mind. I've got three kids to raise. I've got a wife to love and serve. I do not have time for him to have my mind. That's why I'm not going to feed my mind with the anxiety and the fear-driven news and agenda of the world. But we've got to stay connected to Scripture, to the Word of the Lord, and to surrender everything to Him. Because there is a battle of the mind. That's why everything that is good and pleasant is never repeated. But there's a playlist of fear and all these things to get you to stop, pause, and be the ten spies that do not possess what the Lord has told you to possess. And I'm not talking about possessions and all these things. I'm talking about a spiritual promised land that the Lord has laid up in the store for you, for you to go to be a blessing to those around you. We need a renovation of the mind, family, so that we can live in the perfect will of God so that our worship is true and acceptable to him. Don't reduce worship to the songs you sing, but instead, let it be the surrendered life you live. Be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind.